Hey guys, welcome back. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Gracie. And we're your spooky neighbors. Welcome back to part two of Traverse City State Hospital. Welcome back. Part one, we gave you a lot about the Traverse City history, about the hospital, how it was created, a little bit about the changing tide of the mental health view over the last hundred years, and a little bit about um, our crazy mad scientist, but also revolutionary doctor. Friend. Friend, Dr. Ferguson. He could be friend. He could be friend. (laughs) I'd probably be friends. I'd question him. That's okay, though. Friends need to do that. (laughs) Oh, and also the hauntings. I mean, all of the aftermath that was left after the hospital closed down. Oh, yes. Yeah. So go back to part one if you haven't heard that because it covers a whole lot of stuff. And it's going to give you all of the context for the episode today. Be kind. Rewind. Go back to episode one. Or not episode one. I mean, you You can do that too, but part one. (laughs) Go back to part one. And today, Gracie is giving us part two, which is going to be about... In this episode, we're going to give you a story from a patient's eyes. His name is Ronnie. I am so excited. I love hearing about asylums and... You know, just like what it's actually like for people there, you know, from the firsthand perspective. Oh, yeah. So I'm really excited for this one. Yes, you guys are going to get the full rundown. Um, Before we start, fun and tragic fact. (laughs) When we were recording this a couple of months ahead of time, which I feel is we shouldn't have done that in the first place. I mean, it gave us a lot of practice. We learned so much. Yeah, yeah. But it just feels good to be in real time right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it was just to give Steph, you know, some extra time for yoga teacher training. Thank you. That she is starting in just a few weeks. Yay. Yeah. So we were trying to get ahead of things. (laughs) We were. And this was the last episode that we got to. Um, I was close to finishing the edits, and then we lost everything on the hard drive. Making the best of it to get through a very difficult time, we made a joke and called it Ronnie's Curse. Mm -hmm. Here's why. Ronnie suffered from dyslexia and was admitted to Traverse City State Hospital in the late 60s. Behind the doors of the hospital is where he suffered great pain and faced many demons, some which were very real people who we'll talk about in this episode. But after facing all these years of trauma, he wanted to share his story with the world. He wanted to write a book, but he couldn't find the right words. This man went through three co-writers. Wow, three. Three all which fall through. And then Ronnie passed in 2016. And it's pretty haunting because his web domain is still up and it says the story was never written. Ugh, that's so sad. I know. And as a writer and storyteller, I wanted to honor this man's life so badly and tell his story because I think he really wanted the world to know. Mm -hmm. So I spent a few weeks on his website and the parts of his memories that were scattered across 806 forum posts. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And this is on a website called the Kirkbride Model Buildings. And then they had one that was dedicated to Traverse City State Hospital. Ah. And then I think the forum post was called The Forgotten Children of Hall 18. So he made that post in hoping that it would reach other child patients, which Mm -hmm. it did. So just the tiniest bit of context into this. He was able to reconnect with someone that he was best friends with at the hospital. That's amazing. Yeah, named Mike. Wow. So cool. So again, if you listen to part one, Kirkbride model, 
all in there. Yeah, you'll understand what that is if you listen to part one. And you'll get links in the description to all of the things so you could browse these buildings as well too. So I ended up completing what we'll call an incomplete script of his life. But when we told this story the first time in narrative form, nothing was going right. I stumbled over every sentence while narrating. And I mean, I think you could remember that. It was a shit show. It was painful, guys. It it was so painful. (laughs) I think it ended up being an over two-hour recording because I just had long pauses. I couldn't speak coherently. Dyslexia? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. In hindsight, it's pretty ironic because Ronnie suffered from dyslexia. Yeah, right? Which is the reason why he was admitted to the hospital. Mm Mm-hmm. And then while I was editing the audio on my computer, I bumped the external hard drive and then it fell from the couch and it was dangling from the cord it was connected to. So it was kind of hanging by literally a thread. (laughs) And But it didn't hit the floor. It didn't really hit the floor. Like it I mean, we have hardwood floors, so it didn't like completely hit it, but it just bumped like the tiniest corner. Uh Uh-huh. But it's fallen before and it was fine. I know that sounds horrible. (laughs) (laughs) But just with that timing right there, I mean, I thought I saved it from death, but then right at that moment, everything just crashed. My session files were backed, but all the audio files of the actual speaking and the telling of his story, along with everything else we recorded, it was gone. Oh, yeah. This was that fateful, that fateful day. Yes. And I promise that this curse of telling the story gets even weirder. So one of his co-writers named Heidi Smith was working on the edits of the book before they sent it into the publisher. Mm -hmm. I fucking kid you not. That while working on editing his book, Heidi's computer crashed. Oh, my God. (laughs) It fucking crashed. Wow. And in that forum post, Ronnie said that it just must have been the alignment of the planets. I I guess so. What are the odds that it happens again? Wow. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. Well, Ronnie, we won't tell it from your words this time, but we will definitely do our best to make sure that the planets align. Mm. We're going to do our best. We'll start with the opening paragraph of what would have been his book. From Ronnie's words, It was a cold, snowy day in mid-January 1965. I was 12 when I started out just before daylight. The ride was very quiet and long. At times, I was in a complete whiteout due to a strong lake effect storm pounding the west coast of Michigan. The heater was on high, but it was still cold in the back seat. As I was staring out the window, looking to my left, I saw a lone buffalo, standing in the field, covered in snow. I realized then I was not going to be returning this way anytime soon. This is the first day of my distorted memories where Buffalo roam. Hmm, and I don't think we have Buffalo in Michigan. wonder what he saw. Maybe he saw the dog man. (laughs) (laughs) He saw the dog man standing out there. There he was. Wow. This is a crossover of episodes. Oh my gosh, right? This is great. (laughs) But yeah, no, that just kind of depicts like... That kind of distorted memory, like you're on your way to a mental hospital and you see something that you know is not there. Yeah. And you're 12 years old. You have no idea where you're going. At that point in time, you just probably think that you're going someplace fun or I don't know. He's going to where Buffalo roam. Yeah. That doesn't sound so bad. When you think of it like that, what I guess what I think of is like going out to Colorado and just sitting in the fields and the mountains in the summertime Uh. and roaming Buffalo or just... Munching on grass and wildflowers. And that does sound kind of cute little sheep like out in the mountains. Little sheepies. (laughs) Little sheepies. (laughs) 
So where he was actually heading to was a place called Receiving. It was the first stop anyone made when being brought to the asylum. Ronnie had nothing but a brown paper shopping bag of all of his clothes and was taken through a maze of doors. Eventually, he was brought to the office where nurses were bombarding him with all these questions. He was then brought into the shower room, stripped of all of his clothes, and forced to the floor and given an enema. Ugh. An enema. Ew. Ugh. Like a forced enema. No, it's terrible. Oh, my gosh. I yeah. hate it. After that moment, Ronnie was dressed in clothes that were way too big on him and escorted to the day room. In the middle of the room, there was a table set up for putting puzzles together. Ronnie tried to complete the puzzles, but could never finish because there were pieces always missing. Mm. Which kind of sounds like his story and fragments of memory. That's really kind of rude to put a puzzle in an asylum that has missing pieces. That's maddening. Oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> oh, I I hate that. <laughs> I hate that. Wow. I mean, uh, they didn't have a lot of money. There wasn't a lot of funding for new games. Whatever. It was probably donated. Come on. There wasn't really a lot to do but sit and put puzzle pieces together. As for holidays, they never carved pumpkins because knives weren't allowed. For Christmas, a donated and dried up tree was set up the day before and decorated with popcorn strands that they glued together as well as paper chains. Super low budget and it was all taken down the day after. Jeez. This is painting a pretty depressing image. It really is. Yeah. But there were days that an occupational therapist would come in and set them up to make leather wallets and work on cherry festival floats. Oh, cool. But Ronnie never saw any of these wallets he made and never attended any of the cherry festival parades, which in art and occupational therapy is very sad to hear that he didn't get to keep any of the things that he made. Man, it's because, like... you know, that's like a form of therapy in itself. Exactly. And if you don't get to see the product of your creation and what it actually went to, like by going to the festival... Mm-hmm. Because that would have been so therapeutic. Then you don't see your growth patterns exactly. like that. Yeah. Ugh. I feel it. I don't know. Part of me just thinks that they were sold. Huh. I don't Probably. know. I just, I just have that vibe. Yeah. I just... <laughs> like they were using them to make money. Maybe. I mean, work is therapy. I guess. It's also money. <laughs> I guess. But they scrapped that model back in like the early 1900s. Yeah. Like around like 1910 or 12 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> And then one day a week, Ronnie had therapy with Dr. Vasquez. Inside that room, there is a big mirror on one wall. And Ronnie said that one day he saw lights were on inside an adjoining room, revealing a movie camera setup. Ooh. Creepy. He always knew he was being watched and filmed, but never knew the reason as to why. Okay. A minimum stay at the hospital was 30 days. After 30 days had passed, Ronnie met a man named Dr. Curtis. Dr. Curtis came to the D4 unit, where the patients are first admitted, Okay, and told Ronnie he was taking him for an extended stay to Hall 18, the children's ward. Mr. Curtis led Ronnie through an underground tunnel and many cage-like locked doors to Hall 18. Ronnie remembered the tunnel for always being very hot because of all the steam-heated water pipes and electrical wires which ran through the tunnel. He said, quote, I enjoyed my thousand-plus trips through the tunnel. Hmm, that's a lot of trips in the tunnel. Well, there's more that we'll get to regarding the tunnels later. Mwahaha. <laughs> but wait. <laughs> <laughs> but wait. <laughs> there were many kinds of patients on Hall 18. Autistics, epileptics, schizophrenics. Some kids were deeply depressed. Some had eating disorders. Others were abused both sexually and physically. 
There were some disorders that didn't have names back then. Dyslexia, attention deficit disorder, and transgender. Like that's even a disorder. I know. Ugh. That's just how people are. But I guess it's hard to, I don't know, it wasn't so well understood at this time. This was like the 1960s. Yeah, this is in the 1960s. We've come a long way, guys. We really have. (laughs) And then there were also children there as young as four to five, and all of them, which were misunderstood at the time. Yeah. Ronnie's room was an eight by eight foot cell across from the office where he slept on a rubber coated mattress that stunk. His room had no window and the walls were made of cold tile. Outside his room was a metal plate with a slot cut into it for the lights. The attendants had to use a key to turn the lights on and off. So Ronnie, among many other patients, had no control over the lighting in their rooms. Lights were out at 10 p.m. After getting into his bed, a little window was locked. Ronnie sat up for hours listening to the noise of the state hospital, mostly screams coming from the other sides of the walls. That is not the nighttime music that I'd prefer to listen to. No. No. The attendants were strict on the no-noise policy, otherwise patients would have to sit in a chair out in the main hall until they got tired. Ronnie had to do this a few times, and this was when he found out that the roaches and rats came out at night right around midnight. Ew! He watched them come from under the door and scurry out to the dining room. And they would also crawl up from these little holes and crevices where the steam pipes and radiators were built. Ugh. Ugh, I hate it. I hate it. Ronnie once woke up screaming because a roach crawled into his ear. The attendants laughed at him. Then one held him down and the other poured rubbing alcohol into his ear, which burned like crazy, but it killed the roach. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. They ended up pulling out the roach with hemostats. Little tweezers. That is my nightmare. That is my literal worst nightmare. The roach. From your ear. Mm hmm. Horrible. I'm sorry. I just am having like a a mental crisis right now (laughs) because I'm picturing it all like this is painting such a vivid picture in my mind of like this whole setting and of the roach in my ear now. Thank you for that. You're very welcome. (laughs) Thanks. I hate it. (laughs) Another time he woke up to the slightest scratching noise coming from his pillow. It was a rat just chilling there. From his words, he said, quote, I went to the moon. Every morning, the toilets were full of dead mice and rats from the traps, and this is how they were disposed of, unquote. They just put them in the toilet. They didn't even flush? Come on. Come on. Dead mice and rats in the toilets. Cool. That's what you get to wake up to. Yeah. Awesome. Ronnie also said he would never forget the sound of mouse traps going off in the night. Just one after another. Yep. Click. Screech. Ugh. Click. Screech. Wonderful stuff. So the drug room was to the right of the office, and this is where the children received their daily dose of Thorazine. Oh, yay, Thorazine. Which, if you didn't know what that was, be kind, rewind, back to the first part. It's a whole thing. Thorazine is a tranquilizer. So when the staff learned some of the patients weren't taking their medicine, they started mixing liquid Thorazine into their orange juice. Ronnie Mm. said, quote, This stuff was awful tasting. I was out in a daze the first time I was given Thorazine. I had a best friend there named Mike, who I think brought me to my bed, unquote. Aw, Mike. What an awesome guy. Such a homie. Yeah. And also, they're just giving children tranquilizers. So that's pretty fun. Yeah, if that also paints a picture of the hospital. Wow. 
Yeah, so we're getting like the dark sides of the hospital. Yeah. Do you remember the work as therapy model? I love the work as therapy model. Well, Tuesday and Friday, the floor needed to be scrubbed, rinsed, and waxed. Ronnie said it took two hours to apply the wax with socks on their feet before it was buffed with a Clark buffer. He said in his post that he still can't stand the smell of paste wax today. Ew. I was thinking the work as therapy was more for like work on a farm and collect chicken eggs and harvest some plants and things. That's the farm work portion. There's also yeah. janitorial, cooking, cleaning. I guess. Hospitals got to get clean some way. That's true. So, I mean, yeah, this reduces hospital costs as well, but really at what cost? Ronnie remembered a time he saw three older kids sitting in the hall with their feet soaking in a strange purple liquid. He asked them why, and they showed him their feet, which were black and eaten up with athlete's foot in the heel and toe area. And this was the cause of going barefooted in the halls. So even though they, like, scrubbed them, cleaned them, waxed them every week. There's still still roaches, and there's still mice and rats rats and critters that are just crawling up everywhere. Decrepit. Yeah. Oof. So something that is super cool about Ronnie is that he was super big into music. On Saturdays, he had time to learn how to play guitar and was one of the few residents who was allowed to have a musical instrument because he had the passion to play. Ah, yes. Music does, like, just heal your soul. It does. It really does. On Sundays, he said everyone was forced to attend church. He was also an altar boy for about nine months or so, and Father Frederick was the priest at the All Faiths Chapel. Ronnie used to get the wine ready every Sunday and set up the altar. And one day, Ronnie got caught taking a snort of the chapel's wine. A snort? A snort. Like he would just, like up his nose? Just a sniff. Like, okay, so he would just sniff the wine. He wouldn't, like, snort it, no, actually, snort. because... No, it's that was, like, from his words on the forum post, snort. Right. I, but I'm just trying to, like, imagine if he means that literally, or, like, if he took a sip, I or if he just sniffed it's it. kids being kids. You know, you see a pixie stick, and you're like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I'm going to snort this pixie stick because or the like, salt, because you're a kid. But then, like, the after effects of that, because, like, if you were to snort wine. Gotta learn somehow. <laughs> that, would, that would not be a fun time. That would be a really, really bad time for your whole head. And your sinus cavities and your lungs. No. No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to imagine that he sniffed the wine. Like just taking a little snort, like a sniff. Oh, no, he snorted it. (laughs) He straight up snorted it. Wow. Kids do some odd things. They do. Okay. After that, after he snorted all the wine. Oh, my God. (laughs) Ronnie only went to church to see the girls from Hall 7. Oh. From his words, them Catholic girls. (laughs) So Ronnie did meet one of them Catholic girls. And this part is in Ronnie's words just to give the full effect of that first crush feeling. So it's, it's a big quote, so bear with me here. In 1967, 1969, 1969, I was in love. She was from Hall 7, my age and real cute, slim, wore glasses, just like me. We were both blonde and had blue eyes, as I remember. She may have had hazel eyes. I remember seeing her for the first time at lunch in the mess hall during school. It was love at first sight. She was on 3C receiving at this time. As soon as she was moved to Hall 7 and started school, we became inseparable. 
On Sundays, we always sat together in church, were Catholics, and went to church one hour before everyone else went. Note, there were only a few who were actually Catholics there. I remember having sex for the first time with her in the closet at school. (laughs) Wow. Every school trip during the summer, we always held hands on the bus. We always danced close, holding each other tightly. This is a whole different story. Then, in 1969, I was taken to the office and asked about our love affair. I was told she was pregnant. Oh, wow. I was put in seclusion and never saw her again. Oh. I never forgot my first love, unquote. Oh, my gosh. And we have no, like, follow-up. We don't know if that child was born. He probably doesn't know if he has a child. I know. I mean, if they're Catholic, they definitely would have the child, right? I'm sure, yeah. That's okay. I, so, yeah. I'm not Catholic, yeah, so. that was another one of the things where wow. I was just like, What? What? I was really hoping that she would post on the forums or I don't know, something, but something. Wow. Holy cow. I wonder what happened with all of that. And they were just ripped apart, never heard from again. Dude, I know. So you're getting a love story amidst all this horror. That's so sad. Kind of even reminds me a little bit of Asylum from American Horror Story, just a tiny bit, because it's been a while since yeah, I watched like, that one. Oh, okay. Well, there were two patients that got together. And then like once they were found that they were together, they were like, we have got to split them up. So Ah. they were just completely separated. It's been a while since I've seen it too, but I just remember that whole tragic love story that happens in an asylum. Oh, that's heartbreaking. I know. Ronnie. At Traverse City State Hospital, everything was a privilege that was given or taken away for little or nothing. When you had nothing to take away, you got seclusion. There were three seclusion rooms next to the office. These rooms were about 10 by 10 feet and made of hard plaster walls. Each one was usually occupied. If a patient was punished, they would be put in one of these small cells for an average of 7 to 14 days, depending on their behavior. And this is according to Ronnie from his stay at the hospital. This room is about 10 by 10 feet. Wow. Just imagine, like, having to be in here with nothing. Just plaster walls. Just plaster walls. That's it. And we'll get a little bit more detail on the seclusion rooms, too, in just a little bit. He also remembered that in two of the rooms, you could climb up the door hinges, hold onto a conduit pipe, and peer through a small window at the top. So right on top, you see this little tiny window, you climb up it, and then you could watch TV, which is kind of cool. Yay, some form of entertainment. A tiny bit. But the staff was wise to this, so the child patients were only able to do this when no one was watching. Otherwise, they were in these rooms with nothing. As Ronnie recalls, quote, you slept on the floor, you ate on the floor, sometimes you went to the bathroom on the floor because the child patients were only let out four times a day to use the bathroom. Wow, they didn't even have a toilet in there. Or a bucket or anything? Nope. That's barbaric. Yeah. Four times. I mean, when you're a kid, like, your bladder... I mean, I have a small bladder. I pee probably, like, I don't know. Eight a times million a day? Ta- no, yeah. a million times a day. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh. It's a thing. If you're, like, a slightly anxious person or if you're stressed out, I don't know. Sometimes you just have to pee more often. And, I mean, you're a kid and you're in this room, like, a caged animal. And actually, yeah, kind of treated like an animal in that sense. Oh, Definitely. And like you can only go four times? What? Wow. wow. Uh, it, oh. get, it gets worse. Um, it gets worse. 
Ronnie believes a child got killed in seclusion in late 1968 and early 69. From what he remembers, the child was placed in seclusion and was just not having it. The kid was pounding his body against the heavy wooden door, and this went on all night, until two attendants charged the room and beat him. The kid was quiet for 30 minutes and then started again and again. The next morning, the kid was screaming relentlessly and pounding on the door. The other child patients heard the beating that he received and then the hypo. After this happened two times, Ronnie said that this was the loudest that they had heard him scream in that time. Because then, after that final scream, there was a deadly silence that fell over Hall 18, and the children were forced to go to bed at 8.30 p.m. that night. Oh, my God. That is not how you deal with a child or anybody that is, oh, my gosh, they just beat him? I'm so stressed out right now. The next morning, Ronnie woke up and noticed the door to the seclusion room was wide open, and the new kid was gone. Ronnie believes the kid died in that room that night. Oh, my God. After breakfast, the child patients were lined up for school, and the attendant told them, if anyone came around asking questions, they better not say a thing, if you know what I mean. (sighs) Oh, that's awful. Oh, my God. Months after the incident, the children knew things were getting way out of control on Hall 18. The kids got thrown into seclusion rooms for almost nothing, like a simple remark. There were no more privileges. Personal clothes were destroyed. There was no TV at times. Parents were turned away on Sundays. Ronnie called it hell on 18. Yeah. Those poor children. They didn't deserve that. That Nobody deserves that. (laughs) I just can't believe that after the first part of the episode that this is like the... You know, we're getting the behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. One time, Ronnie got two weeks seclusion for trying to expose the hospital for what they were doing to them. When taking a trip in the town, he bought a cheap camera. When the staff found out about it, they made all the kids sit in hard chairs until they found out who took the pictures and where the camera was. Ronnie says they had to sit in the chairs for three days. Whoa. Three days? Yes, until somebody broke. Holy shit. Ronnie got seclusion after that and said it was awful. There were times he wasn't fed, and when he was, it was food he hated. There were times he wasn't allowed to go to the bathroom, and there was another time they took his blanket away, and the only thing to keep him warm was from a small open-screened window above the door. Wow. That's... (laughs) That's torture. that's fucking hell. Ugh. While some staff hated being there and treated some kids very poorly, Ronnie does remember a very kind man, Mr. Curtis, the one who walked him down to Hall 18 in the very beginning. One winter, when Ronnie was sick, Mr. Curtis tended to him and treated Ronnie like his own son. Aww. He never saw Mr. Curtis mad and said he was very caring, but no hugs were ever issued. Ronnie remembers always wanting love and only getting it from other patients. He said... A simple hug from another kid lasted all day. Mm -hmm. Hugs, a simple act of loving, were a forbidden act and were never allowed at Traverse City State Hospital. Forbidden? Forbidden. (sighs) I mean, the importance of human touch is so essential to life, you know? so It is. I mean, most people have probably heard about the book called A Child Called It. 
Yes, that one. Yeah, who never received human touch. And I mean, all sorts of things can happen. So when you're in a place that you need to heal, I can see from other patients where it could be dangerous, but like to completely outrule, like overrule and not have that allowed in any way, shape or form, it like makes everything feel so inhuman. And by not receiving that, I just, oh, it makes me so sad. I think there's also, I can't remember the experiment, but it is in psychology. I think it was a monkey experiment. So they had a regular monkey mother or whatever the animal was, pretty sure it was monkeys. But anyways, they, you know, did just fine with the regular mother. But Mm -hmm. then the scientists, they replaced the mother, the actual mother, with a cloth mother, and it was just kind of like a doll. And then they still gave it all the things that it needed, food and water, but they were much more irritable and they needed, you know, they needed that interaction. Right, like they were reacting to the withdrawals of having that kind of, yeah, the maternal, the loving touch, you know, like that kind of physical connection or that energy, you know, that you get from another human being, specifically a mother. Yeah, And yeah, you could be aggressive. I mean, at that point, you feel so alone. An adult is a placeholder, but not the same thing. Yeah, no, it's not. (sighs) And same thing like with those kids. Like, I mean, they received that that form of touch and hugs with one another, but not from... I mean, sometimes their parents were turned away and other times their parents didn't visit them at all. So they don't really have one of those authority or, you know, that kind of like, like maternal or adult. Paternal. They don't have an adult. <laughs> like that look. adult kind yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. Like validation, right? Exactly. Validation or like caring of an adult human. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They needed that. Yeah. And Mr. Curtis, he sounds like a great guy. He, he would, does. He would also take Ronnie on walks through the other halls and tunnels on his way to pick up paperwork. In some of the words, the patients would call out to Ronnie and claw at him. Like through the yeah, like cells? Through, yeah, I mean, it through the cells. It sounds like a prison. It really does, yeah. So they would also walk by some medical wards, and Ronnie recalls seeing the equipment still in place that were used for lobotomies and shock treatment. His best friend Mike said there was a lot of equipment that was outlawed that was still being used until the place was shut down in 1989. Things like metal restraints, straight jackets, and electric shock treatments because all the equipment was still there and not even in storage. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, I can't help but think about what you said in part one about the beauty is therapy and straight jackets being forbidden. Oh, well, yeah. So beauty is therapy, like that kind of went along with um, the environment being very calming and pleasing to, you know, just be around and removing those straight jackets and metal restraints because it's barbaric and torturous. <laughs> so it sounds like after Dr. Decker James Munson, after he left, it sounded like a lot of things ended up shifting. Right. Because you know, he was the yeah. one that put those in place of like he no straight was. jackets, no metal restraints of any kind. Um, just put We're them not in. We're doing a, this. Yeah. yeah. Like he would say, just put them in a really pleasing environment and let them calm down. The hospital had changed a lot. Oh, yeah. In all of that time. Those, during, through those decades. Yeah. A lot of things shifted. Yeah, so... I mean, and that was probably more commonplace for the 1960s to have those kind of things. Yeah, in place, they're like, okay, like, we'll have stray jackets. This just sounds a lot easier than to... Yeah, than to actually deal with what's happening. Yeah, and, you know, just treat Hmm. each individual 
human being that is there. As a human being? No, we're going to just put them in a straitjacket and instead they're just strap a number. them down with metal straps. That's just, no. yeah. Oh, man. So really everything was hush hush. Ronnie said that what happened in the hospital stayed in the hospital and no one outside the walls would ever know. Until now, <laughs> because we're telling you. <laughs> <laughs> and there are more things that happened in the hospital, and it gets pretty dark. So full disclaimer that this next part mentions the sexual abuse that some of the child patients suffered as well as Ronnie. Ooh, trigger warning. Ronnie had a problem with one of his testicles and had surgery on it where they sewed it onto his leg. What? After the stitches were removed, it was super painful, and he wasn't given Anything stronger than aspirin for pain management. <sighs> From Ronnie's words, he said there was a fat, ugly, and hairy nurse who tended to his wounds, and she started touching him inappropriately. Oh my God. In making him touch her. Oh my God. The nurse told Ronnie that he needed to know about this kind of stuff if he was going to get anywhere with girls. No, 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 no. That's not the way. Ronnie was told if he said anything to anybody, no one would believe him. He suffered six months of both physical and mental pain, a trauma that followed him into adulthood. I hope this woman is in fucking jail because that's where she belongs. I think she ended up getting let go it must have been a year or two after that wait let go like from, like the, from hospital? the hospital yeah it didn't detail anything more than that but that i don't know she was let go and then he never saw her again thank god for that at least well at least she was gone but then like the trauma that's gonna live with him forever i know that's so fucked up <sighs> and that wasn't the only case in Hall 18, there's a big dormitory with beds lined up against the walls where new kids and kids who lost their privileges slept. And this section is pretty much just an open room with no sense of privacy or enclosure except for two doors, which were opened at night for fire exits. And this is when older men used to sneak into these two dorms at night and rape little boys. Oh my god. The boys would tell the attendants, but no one believed them until a late night in December of 1966 when one of them was caught. From then on, the doors were locked and they had an attendant stay out and keep watch at night. So not until it was too late. Wow. I'm... <laughs> this is torture. This is hell. I mean, please tell me that there was some kind of justice that came from this. Some kind of prosecution of any kind. No. They just had someone stay out. They just had someone stay out and so keep watch. these orderlies that were raping people were just never prosecuted. Yeah, and, we'll get into another and this little is, bit that is... Yeah, yeah. and this they is the hospital. Yeah. This, they, is, this is what they lived through. Yes. Fucking hell. Ronnie's best friend, Mike, unfortunately had one of these experiences. Oh, no. One night... Mike woke up in the middle of the night to a scratchy feeling on his leg. He jumped up and saw someone bent over at the foot of his bed, and they were hiding under a blanket. I'm just, like, shocked right now. I'm, I'm frozen. And a former female patient from Traverse City State Hospital wrote on the forums and shared the dark corners of the girls' hall. This female patient remembers a doctor who raped the teenage girls, and for his punishment, they 
sent him to a male hall as a doctor. So he was still a doctor. He didn't get demoted or anything. He was just sent to a different hall. You've got to be fucking kidding me. I wish I was. I'm also at a loss of words here. I, mm, there's just rage boiling up right now. So much rage. Ugh. She also remembers that one of the men she had talked to on her way to the canteen was murdered by one of the male employees and how it didn't make the newspapers because Traverse City State Hospital owned the town. Wow. 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 Because remember? Yeah, Too much power. Yeah. Remember because they had, well, yeah, that the, was their source of income. Yeah. The, the hospital. The hospital kind of built the town. They had, that's what gave everybody jobs, right? Mm. Oh, too much power. This is why that's not okay. I mean, there's so many reasons why this is not okay, but Jesus. Yeah. So that whole part was just super dark and disturbing. So I will kind of leave this off on a little bit of a cuter note. I, I promise. Are okay. you going to bring us some warm fuzzies? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going, going to try fuzzies. my hardest. Okay. <laughs> so there were very young patients from five to nine years old that the older kids called the little ones. The little ones watched superhero movies on TV on Saturday mornings and would run around with capes pretending like they were superheroes. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> I remember on one of the posts that Ronnie said that they broke out, like the older kids, they broke out a Ouija board oh. and they did it to mess with the kids oh my God. and that the kids did not sleep at all that oh night. Oh my God. What Just the- to fuck with them. <laughs> that's something (laughs) (laughs) aside from messing with them the older kids they really looked out for the little ones and they kept an eye out for child predators when ronnie was 12 or so he said he smashed a few of the child predators who were also patients in the face for trying to touch him so he (laughs) just (laughs) ducked them in the face (laughs) yeah ronnie is also a superhero yeah you are oh my gosh And then Ronnie was released from Traverse City State Hospital when he was 18. So he stayed there for six whole years. From 12 to 18? From 12 to 18. Holy shit. He had a few hundred dollars saved up and got on a Greyhound bus to California. At what would have been the end of his book, he writes, It was a cold, snowy day in mid-January 1971. I was 18 and the Greyhound bus left the bus station in Traverse City just after daybreak. The direction the daylight was coming from through the left side window indicated that I was traveling south. Just a short distance from the big sign made of stone at the entrance of Traverse City State Hospital, I looked to my right, and while gazing out the window, I saw a buffalo standing in a field covered in snow. The buffalo! I somehow knew at this moment that I would not be traveling this way again, where buffalo roam. <laughs> I ha- oh my god, I have chills. Oh, Tingles I, just went up and down my there, whole body. Dude, I know. Um, there's actually another another moment that will also this this part just I mean, oh wow. I I mean I just even, because like he saw the buffalo on his way there and, and he, he saw his buffalo on the, way back. on the way out. And oh my gosh. And the buffalo's like, bye. <laughs> I'm just like I'm tingling right now. That's Ugh. so amazing. Although he left the hospital, it haunted Ronnie for decades. Between his website and forum posts, he wrote a continuation of these hauntings. Quote, I used to wake up in the middle of the night screaming and soaking in sweat. I never spoke of my life in the 1960s to anyone unless it was a lie I made up to hide my shame in teenage years. So I just blocked the true story out of my mind. I never felt cared for. Traverse City State Hospital was like a prison for us, and we felt like we did not belong there. 
I never wanted to go back. I always had nightmares of going back. Bad ones of going back to Hall 18, knocking on the door and asking them to let me in. And they did, but then I could never leave. Unquote. And that just gives me Hotel California vibes. We are programmed to receive. You can check out, but you can never leave. Whoa. <laughs> oh my God. Oh. I know. I'm all, oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. 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 What a. Uh, yeah, loss of uh, words. I will continue. Okay. <laughs> After he left, Ronnie joined the army. He felt invincible and experimented with drugs to stop the bad dreams of his life, if only for a while, until 1980. Then he completely stopped drinking and doing hard drugs and opted for smoking pot. (laughs) All right. (laughs) And this man had a huge passion for music. He started a music company and also has a huge list of songs available on his website that we'll post in the link in the description. Seriously, reading through all these forum posts and excerpts from his book, I was ready to email him and ask him to be on the podcast because he just sounds like an amazing dude. Yeah, seriously. And I remember that on his website, he said that you can email him anytime and that he would be happy to take a walk through the old state hospital grounds, play guitar, and share his stories for whoever would like to hear them. Oh my God. But unfortunately, in November 2016, Ronnie was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. Sadly, he passed away on December 23rd, 2006, which happened to be his birthday. He he died on his birthday? Yeah, that's a thing. It's actually a statistic that you're more likely to pass away on your birthday. At least that's what I've heard. That's really interesting. I guess it's like completing a cycle. That's why I'm super nervous for Monday. (laughs) Gracie, your birthday is going to be great. (laughs) It's going to be great. I'm turning 27 and I feel like it's the 27 club. So I took the day off work because I'm superstitious and I'm just going to stay home and edit. And that's going to be my birthday. And I'm so stoked about it. (laughs) That sounds like a perfect birthday for you. (laughs) (laughs) I know everyone's like, you're working. Shouldn't you have fun? It's like... I am going to have fun that this is weekend. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen your editing style and it is so satisfying. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, and also to honor this man, we really wanted to share a clip of his music, but unfortunately we cannot due to copyright laws, which protects royalties for 70 years after a person has passed. So we strongly encourage you to click on the link in the description and listen to his song, Where Buffalo Roam. For this next part, or you could listen to it after, whichever Ooh, you prefer. We're Buffalo Rome. I just got the chills again. I know. Those tinglies. It just came right back around. It did. So one of Ronnie's fondest memories at Traverse City State Hospital was getting something called a ground parole card. So patients were able to earn one of these cards that allowed them to wander the paths and trails on campus for a designated time frame. One place Ronnie liked to go was the hippie tree, where he'd play his guitar He has written several songs as part of his healing process from his time as a forgotten child of Hall 18. Wow. That sounds so beautiful, though. Like, just to have a tree to sit under and to play music, like the hippie tree. Yeah. And there was a picnic table under this tree that Ronnie says, quote, if you were cool and hip, you sat there. I remember playing my guitar and everyone loving it. And we used to play our portable record players, hold hands, sometimes sneak in a kiss or two. We were the closest thing to a hippie who was there in the late 1960s. Oh, yes. I love that. I know. Oh, my gosh. And so 
it turns out this hippie tree is different from the one that people say is in the woods, which they say is a gateway to hell. Hmm. So for our second part of this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about this hippie tree, which is different from Ronnie's tree. That is Ronnie's own tree. Ooh, I have some stories to share about the hippie tree. Just from like people that I've talked to that I have a, a client who grew up in Traverse City. Yeah. And she told me that her and her friends would just like, it was a thing that people did in high school. You would just sit under the tree and smoke pot. And there was, well, apparently now it's dead. I think the tree is yeah. dead. And, but people would do like this cool yarn project where they would like knit yarn around it. That is so cute. And decorate it. Uh, I wish Ronnie was still around so we could just share these stories and pictures of seeing the yarn on the tree, like those right. little knittings. Aww. That is adorable. So about the hippie tree. Deep in the woods outside the Traverse City State Hospital and down a small steep path at the edge of a clearing lie the bones of a sprawling old black willow. The tree has been struck by lightning and split in two. While the heart of the tree has long since rotted, life still persists. Growing on its side, it looks as if it's trying to crawl away from something. Legend has it that the tree is a nexus for the unquiet spirits of those who died in the hospital, and by extension, the madness that haunted them. Oh. Visionaries, mystics, and other spiritual folks would come meditate beneath the tree. After receiving enlightenment, the artists would then paint the products of their visions on the warped limbs surrounding them. After generations and layers of lurid neon paint, the effect is a spectacle of twisting iridescent growth along the length of the great fallen legend that locals have named the hippie tree. Rumors and legends swirl around the tree. It is said to be haunted by several spirits, and there are numerous reports of otherworldly encounters. Some people who visited the tree late at night have heard disembodied voices and had stones and rocks thrown at them. Oh, oh my, wow, that's interesting. There's some energy around that tree. Oh, there definitely is. One story says that in the 1950s, two boys who were patients at the hospital were playing by the tree and ventured into some of the underground tunnels that run beneath the buildings. Hmm. Looking for adventure, the boys continued down the tunnels until they encountered an asylum inmate who had escaped and was living in the tunnels. The boys turned around and ran as fast as they could. After gaining some distance, one of the boys turned around to find out that he was alone. The boy ran back to the hospital and reported his friend missing. The hospital staff searched the tunnels for the missing boy, but could only find his St. Raphael necklace and nothing more. A month and a half later, a few of the boys' remains showed up at what is now known as the hippie tree. Whoa. The remains like bones? The boys' remains, I don't know. Remains that's just, of some that's, kind? That's like just their the legend. Shoe, a hat. I think Something it was like up. remains of maybe like body. Bones. Bones. A decaying foot. Ooh. Oddly specific. <laughs> decaying foot. <laughs> I have a morbid mind. <laughs> That's okay. We like all things macabre. And that was just a legend, so. 
I'm sure if it actually happened, we'd be able to like dig more into it and have a mini episode on that. But that is all that is out there. Wow. I'm just imagining. Okay, so this boy that's like running through the tunnel away from something and his friends there and all of a sudden he turns back and he's gone and you're alone in a tunnel. It was a deranged patient that was in the tunnel or like escaped like. Yeah, that's what it was that they were running from. And then he's just gone. Just poof. Yeah. I know. There are a few other things that people have claimed about the hippie tree. A portal to hell is said to open beneath its tangled roots if one walks around the tree in a particular way. They say that when it opens, the damned souls of former asylum inmates will drag you down with them. Do you want to know on how to do it? Because I can tell you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, tell me. Okay, I just have it italicized. Like, you don't have to read this, but if you want to, if Steph's interested, you can. Okay, here's how to do it. To correctly circle the tree, you must not jump over or walk or crawl under any of the limbs. Okay. Walking around it the correct way involves going through heavy brush, stickers, probably poisonous plants, and more. (laughs) And stickers. And stickers. And it will take a considerable amount of time. Those are the instructions I found on the internet. All right, I'm ready to walk through stickers. (laughs) (laughs) There's stickers. (laughs) Stickers could be many things. It could be the ones that our friend is handing out at Riot Fest (laughs) at this moment. It could be pot stickers. Ooh, walking through pot stickers. (laughs) I don't want to step on a pot sticker. (laughs) Just scoop them up. Nom, nom, nom. <laughs> Sounds so good. Yeah, I'll play. <laughs> and just to wrap up the hippie tree, there are also many people who believe that leaving some sort of artistic marking will allow for enlightenment. But apparently, oh. it's a transformation you won't want to take lightly. Today, the tree stands mostly as a representation of Traverse City's culture through the art it bears. Oh. Upon seeing it and feeling the brooding energy that inspired the insane masterpiece painted by a thousand hands, one must surely agree its story is far from over. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I love that. Can we go to the hippie tree? Absolutely. We're going to the hippie tree. Who wants to come with us? No one. (laughs) I feel like Steve from Blue's Clues, like, (laughs) we're just talking to... I'll grab my handy-dandy notebook. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take clues. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are doing a great job. Thanks for sticking with us on part two of this episode. Yeah, thanks for sticking. I'm glad I stuck around for this. I, this was, this was all Grace's project and wow, redone so beautifully. We almost thought of scrapping it because we felt so cursed. Yeah, we almost didn't do this one. Yeah, because I wrote it from like a telling of Ronnie's perspective. I wanted to give him like that full narrative, his voice. But then after everything happened, we're just like, we can't do this. Like this. Yeah, it was going to be his book, his words, his voice. I know. Which you really did an awesome job on just like telling that, but reforming this in the way that you did. Dude, it was in like, I'm not going to lie. It was quite a tedious process. I had... Yeah, 806 forum posts of someone that is writing who is dyslexic is very difficult to do. I can't even imagine. And to have all of them scattered, like there would be one page, like let's say you're on page one of the forums, then you have like one clip and then you wouldn't find 
something that builds on that memory until like page 27. Oh, so wow. I had to keep tabs on every little thing that was happening uh-huh. and tell it very coherently and make it all sound very coherent as well. Man. Well, and you paint- I love that stuff so much. Yeah. Well, you ended up painting a really beautiful picture of Thank what you. it actually was like to be there. Yeah, it really felt like we were there, like we could hear the roaches and... Yeah, I felt one in my ear. Thank you. I hate it. Oh, God. Sorry (laughs) to give you guys that reminder again. Thanks for reminding me of that, Grace. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) You understood the assignment. I'm not happy about it, but it happened. (laughs) Oh, wow. And you know what? That happened to people who actually like lived through that. People lived through that shit. And as a society, I think, yeah, I think we've learned as a society. I mean, mental hospitals don't exist like that anymore. There are plenty of spaces, places that you can go if you need to have like time away just to like heal and be yourself. And they're not like that, thankfully. Yes. At least not around here. I hope they don't exist elsewhere. (sighs) Wow. Wow. The Traverse City State Hospital. What a cool, what a what a wild ride this has been. This has been a very wild ride. I felt, again, I ended up cutting a lot of stuff from like the first draft of the narrative into this one as well that it could have been three or four parts, but I just don't feel like I would ever want us to go through that as a <laughs> podcast of doing a three-part thing. Yeah, yeah. Now we're going to have some palate cleansers. <laughs> yes, yes. Enjoy some mini episodes. In between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here. We're so glad that you're here and listening. And be sure to give us feedback. If you want to hear about something, let us know. If you Absolutely. Have... We are looking at you, Illinois. Yeah. Like, oh. We see that you're our second highest listeners. Oh, hey, Illinois. Have you got some stories for us? We might have found one. Please email us at yourspookyneighbors at gmail.com. If you have any personal experiences, listener tales, please send them to us, to our Gmail. Yes, please do. We want to hear it. And then maybe you'll hear it on our podcast. We currently hear crickets. (laughs) (laughs) Give us stuff. Give us stuff. Give us stuff. And also give us feedback. If you like the content, you can like, share, subscribe, tell your friends, all that good stuff. And if you would like to follow us for updates and pictures that go along with the episodes, because we have some that I will definitely post to Ronnie, because you're probably wondering what he looks like. Well, I will post a picture of that. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, Your Spooky Neighbors. Do it, guys. Do it. Do it. And we will see you next week. And next week, yeah, come back and crack a cold one with Your Spooky Neighbors. Bye.